You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. All right, I want to I lead off. I want to ask you this question. What does it take for us to ask for help? What does it take for us to ask for help in our lives? Some of you are sitting there and and your spouse is going, the apocalypse, right? Like it might take them the end of the world to ask for help. I think there's this this joke that that guys don't like asking for direction. Raise your hand if you are one of those guys that you will just, wow, okay. Raise your hand if you're like uh, the other guy who, you know, I I have no idea and I'm going to immediately ask for help. Okay. I am with you. I, uh, there's a lot of things that um, I will absolutely be like, no, I got this, I don't need help, but like directions or uh, how to do something, I am like one of the quickest, I, I think one of my first jobs, my boss probably thought I was a numbskull because at every corner, I would just turn around and ask just for assurance because I want to make sure that I wasn't wrong. Like, I'm pretty sure I know how to do this, but is this how you would do it? And there was a point he looked at me, he's like, I mean, would you quit asking me, just do it? And I'm like, yeah, but what if I break it? He's like, well, then you break it. You just kind of go about life. And, and, and I'm like, that's, no, I don't want to break anything. But I, I think there's, there's a point in all of our lives where we have to get to this place where we have to ask for help. And each one of us have, has a different place of when we ask for help. Uh, I, I can tell you uh, there, there's a moment uh, about five years ago. Uh, I, I used to wear contacts. For those of you that knew, have known me for a long time, uh, I wore contacts for most of my life until about four and a half, five years ago. So I, I was wearing contacts. I was not one of those guys who would sleep with his contacts, but I would absolutely stretch a 30-day pair of contacts to like 90 days. And it wasn't because I was cheap or I was intentionally doing it. It was because I didn't like mark on my calendar when I put these in, and so I'd have no idea how long I was wearing these contacts. And so for me, the test was, when do they get annoying, right? When, when, when can you not breathe through your eyes, so to speak? Like when they get a little itchy, and so I just take them out and throw them away. And I did that for years, and my doctor told me that you shouldn't, and I said, I hear you, but, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take any other steps because this is what it is. So one summer, I'm going to the lake, I'm going to the beach, I'm going all over the place, and I get back from one of these trips, and, and I notice one of my eyes is really bothering me. And it's, it's kind of, uh, it feels like a, a scratched cornea. Now, I have scratched my cornea before, so I'm kind of going, okay, cool. I'll just take my contacts out, wear glasses for, for a few days, no big deal. I go a couple of days, and it's not getting any better. And I'm wearing, like, sunglasses. I even posted a picture on Instagram because, I don't know, that's what you do when you're dumb. Um, you, you post a picture, hey, guys, I scratched my cornea, so if you see me wearing glasses at all times, my future's just really bright. That's really all it is, Right? I go two or three days, it's not getting any better. My wife, lovingly, she goes, Chris, go to the doctor. She worked in an optometrist's office for several years. And I'm going, no, I don't, it's just scratch cornea. She eventually says, you're going. So I go to the doctor. I get there. The doctor looks in my eye and goes, yeah, okay, so it's not necessarily a scratch cornea. It's an infected eye. So you wore your contacts too much, and then uh, I guess you were susceptible to bacteria and other things, and you went to the lake or wherever you went, and your eye actually got infected. And if you would have waited any more time, you would have lost your eye. What? 
So the quick, it was, thankfully, I have both eyes, as you can see, and they both work. So it's not like, you know, I got a fake one in here. I, I put some drops and it was all good, but it, it led me to what I'm thinking about today of like, at what point do we ask for help? Do, do things have to get so bad to we, we can't even see anymore? Our lives get so jacked up and different that we have to go ask for help? Or is there something before that that we go, oh, we, we, can, we can lead ourselves to this place? So the answer to, to the question of like, when do we ask to ask for, when do we need to ask for help? The first thing that we, we need to recognize in order to ask for help is what? That we need help. And today we're going we're gonna to look at two stories revealing one's recognition of need and what to do about it. We're going to look at two unique stories. And in both of these stories, what it's going to reveal to us is that there is a sense of need in their life. And what do you do? about finding help for that need. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of my sermon is How to Find Help. How to Find Help. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, as Brother Jimmy read for us. And I just kind of want to walk through this text. I I want us to walk through and really understand what's going on in these two different people's lives and how Jesus interacts and heals both of them, but then teaches us our need and teaches us where we can find help. So Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 12. So what, what you see is this leper comes to Jesus. And I love the language that Luke gives us here because what he's going to point us to is uh, this, this idea and this context of what is going on with Jesus and with this leper. And so Luke says Jesus is in one of these cities. And then he refers to a person with leprosy. Now, Leprosy in in biblical language doesn't necessarily mean a specific disease. Most times it means a disease in general referring to something to do with the skin. So they could have had ringworm, or they could have had what's usually called, and this person likely had, Hansen's disease. And so it's this disease where boils and all these things come up on your skin, and it's pretty nasty, and a lot of times there's some numbing that happens to uh, your like fingers and toes and other places, and you can't really feel what's going on. And so eventually, uh, you'll injure them, you'll get infected, and then you'll die. But at this point, leprosy, Hansen's disease specifically, was one of those diseases in biblical times where you were cast out. You, you were not allowed near other people. Matter of fact, in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, there's this process where the priest would actually diagnose the people and then cast them outside of the city. And if you ever came with, within contact of someone else as a leper, you had to scream, unclean, unclean. And you had at all times need to stay at least 50 paces from someone else. And so here's this unclean person who has drawn near to Jesus. Now, some people speculate, is Jesus outside of the city? Is Jesus in the city? Because if he's in the city, that means the leper is doing something that he's not supposed to. And if you look down to verse 16, it shows that after Jesus heals this man, he does what? He leaves the city and goes to prayer and goes to pray. And so what we know is that the leper has kind of snuck in to the city walls. Maybe if you've seen The Chosen, maybe he's kind of got like, you know, longer clothes on and tried to hide some of his boils or whatnot. But this is that situation where the leper is putting himself at risk. Because if he's caught, he could, he could certainly be killed. He could, he could be prosecuted and then killed for coming around other people because he's putting them at harm. Now think about like what's going on in this situation. I think before COVID, I think a lot of us would have been like, 
not really completely understanding leprosy. But if you remember March 2020, April 2020, a large percentage of the world was like, everyone stay away from me, right? I mean, most of us locked ourselves in our house for about a month. Now, a couple months later, a lot of us broke out and did all the things, but there was at least three or four weeks where we all experienced this, don't get close to me, don't breathe on me. You saw people in like full hazmat suits going to get toilet paper. Like, you might not have been that person, but you can kind of get this sense of what a leper's life would have been like and what everyone else around a leper would have felt. They would have felt bag, back, fitty feet. Right? That's where that saying comes. Just kidding. But he continues on. He approaches Jesus. And he looks at Jesus and he says in verse, the, the later part of verse 12, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. What if we prayed like that? What if we lived our lives in a, in a place, in a posture, like this leper who approaches Jesus? See, I think sometimes when we, when we go to pray, when we approach Jesus, we certainly approach with humility and boldness, but there's also an aspect where we approach Jesus with this, hey, I need you to go ahead and do this. I need you to get this done. And what the leper says to Jesus is, if you will, I know you can, but if you will, will you meet me in my place of need? Or is where I am currently finding my life, is that where you'd have me, Lord? Do you see that difference? Like going to God and going, hey, I need you to fix my job. I need you to fix my relationship. I need you to fix this disease, this illness, this situation in my life. Versus, God, I'm not really enjoying this relationship, this situation, this job, this sickness. But if you will, will you make me clean? If, if, it, if it's in your will, if it's what's not only my good, but for your glory. And that's kind of a, a picture, a glimpse that we see from this leper. Someone who's, who's looking at Jesus, and certainly there's an aspect of this is like a Hail Mary. This is his last opportunity because he's feeling it. But he gives Jesus a, a, a word of respect. And he says, Lord. And then he follows it up, if you will. If there's any chance, not that if you could do it, because I know you can. But if it's in your will, if it's what suits you, will you heal me? That's a moment that I think we all need to just kind of pause and reflect and look at the leper's hearts and go, is this my heart? Is this where I come to God? Or do I come to God with this place of, hey, I follow you a lot. I do all the, I do all the right things. I give. I go to church. I serve. I try to help those in need. So because I do that, I'm going to need you to fix this. I want to be a lot more like the leper. I want to come to him and say, God, if you will. So we continue on, and this, this is a game changer. So this dude comes to Jesus. He's not really supposed to be there. He asks for healing. And Jesus, as he always does, kind of flips the script and kind of shows us this upside-down kingdom model. In verse 13, Jesus could certainly look at him and say, you are healed, and then do whatever he wanted to. But what does Jesus do first? It says he reaches out and he touches him. He's not healed yet. This is leprosy. 
This is a disease that everyone in that region, everyone in that world is scared of. Don't touch them. Don't let them breathe on you. Don't come near them. Stay 50 paces away from them. And Jesus, prior to healing, reaches out and touches them. There's a chance that this leper hadn't felt an embrace in weeks, months, maybe even years. And Jesus, instead of just fixing the issue first that looks like this physical thing that needs to be healed, what does Jesus do? He touches his heart. By reaching out and physically laying hands on him, he lets him know that he cares. He values him. And in so many ways, when the church, when we as Christians go and love on those in need and go and serve in our community and in our world, and we do mission projects, and we do an Easter egg hunt that looks like something where we can go and help some people and provide some situations with some families and all these other things, you know what we need to do? We need to let them know that we care. We need to just reach out our hands and touch them. And that's what Jesus does. He says he stretches out his hand, he touches him, and he says, you will be healed. Be clean. And then Jesus follows the kind of model set up in Leviticus 13 and 14. So once you were deemed sick as a leper, the priest would then cast you out. But if you ever wanted to come back, if there was some chance by the grace of God that you were cured, you had to go through a process of ritual cleansing. And so Jesus looks at him and says, hey, don't tell anybody that, sh that you got healed. Because if you just walk around and say, hey, I'm healed, I'm healed, technically, legally, the way the Jewish tradition would have worked was you weren't actually cleansed. You would have still had a mark of leprosy on you. And so he goes back and says, hey, don't tell anybody and go follow the Mosaic law and go find a priest. And so they go through the ritual laws, and the implication is that he then goes to this priest and is now set free from the bondage, from being cast out, from no longer being someone of worth and of, of part of the community. All of a sudden now this leper, because Jesus has healed him, has been brought into the fold, and he's been given a purpose, and he's been given a people. And what this leper situation shows us is that when we are in need, we need to come to Jesus. When we are in need, we must come to Jesus. And so if you're trying to figure out, like, how do we find help? How do we do all the things in life? How do I have fresh air in my life because everything feels so stale because I'm being weighed down by all of the weightiness of this world? My situation here is broken. My life is difficult here. I can't handle this relationship. I can't handle this thing. All of the things, and everything just feels like I can't do anything. How do I find help? Jesus says, come to me. We must come to him in our time of need. And that is exactly what this leper does. And here's the, the situation for you and for me when Luke is teaching this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. See, leprosy wasn't just deemed this physical sickness. They would have believed that it was a physical manifestation of a spiritual illness. And here's the truth. Every single one of us 
before Christ is lepers. We can't get rid of the disease. There's nothing that we can do to heal ourselves. We've been cast out. We've been put aside. We are sheep without a shepherd. We have no future, no hope. And yet Jesus reaches out and touches. And for all those who receive that touch and say, Lord, if you will, what does he say? You will be healed. You'll be brought back in. And so the first step on how we find help, every single one of us, is we need to come to Jesus. And we need to lay off all of the things that are in our hearts and on our shoulders, the, the, the burdens that we've been bearing and carrying and trying to work through and say, Jesus, will you take them? Because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so I want to follow after you. That's story one. We're all lepers. And how, how do we find help? How do we get fresh air in our lives? We go to Jesus. But then Luke links these two moments. So Jesus heals the leper, and he says he goes off and to a desolate place and prays. And then he uses this transitional phrase in verse 17. It says, on one of those days. On one of those days. So this is kind of a moment where Luke, Luke isn't necessarily concerned about the timeline chronologically that you're going, hey, okay, so if I'm examining this letter, because remember the beginning of Luke is this letter to say, here's why you can trust in the Messiah. Here's why you can trust in Jesus. But for this moment, Luke is less concerned with you coming at it as a, historic, as a historian, and he's more concerned with you coming at it as the broken individual that you are, and you need theological teaching. You need to know that not only is Jesus a healer, but he's also the teacher. And so Jesus gathers around on one of these days, and it says he was teaching Pharisees. Teachers of the law were sitting there. I want you to think about teaching teachers. Teaching a teacher. A friend of ours recently had to teach other teachers at a job. And they were, they were expressing to us the amount of stress that came from that situation. See, it's, it's, it's very easy, I think, at times for us to get up and teach people who aren't necessarily at our same academic level or at our same professional level. You know, uh, for the teachers in the room, when you're teaching a first grader or a sixth grader or a, a senior, Lord willing, you've got to step above them, right? Like, you, you know the content just, just, just a little bit better. If nothing else, you studied it the night before, right? But get in the room with some teachers who may already be further advanced than you with at least their degrees, and you have to turn around and teach them. That would be, for me, a level of anxiety. That, that would be this level in this place going, okay, don't say anything wrong today. I have preached in a room of preachers. It's a little more difficult than preaching to a normal congregation on Sunday. If for no other reason, there's an aspect that some of them is looking, let's, let's analyze everything he says and the way he says it. Even if they're not trying to do that, it's what we do. Like, it's just part of life. Like, when I visit a church, I try my hardest to go, I'm just going to worship today. I'm just going to do it. But there's always an aspect that I'm watching that usher at the front door. How did they greet me? Was the coffee any good? When they took my kid, how did they take my kid? Several years ago, Amy and I visited uh, our home church years after we had left it. And it was a church where we, I don't want to say we fell in love with Jesus at that moment, but it was definitely a church 
that launched us into our next season of ministry. And we visited it about three or four years after we had left. And by this point, we had Micah. He was, I don't know, one and a half or something like that. And we get to the church, we drop him off, and the, the check-in process is abysmal. Now, this is a large church. So we automatically have the assumption with larger churches, they do things well, right? Because it's just like business. When a church is big, they do things well. And sometimes that the, that's the case, and that Sunday was not the case for us. So we drop our son, our son off. It took us like 20 minutes because we had to ask somebody like, hey, how do you do the check-in process? Because there's nobody here. And we go back after the service to pick our son up, who Micah wasn't really a crier. He wasn't really a whiner. And we get there, and he's like locked in a, a, one of those like push carts, crying his eyes out. And I freak out for a second. I'm like, dude, my son is cool. What is wrong with you people? Right? And we left that moment kind of going, what, what in the world? Like, this isn't what we thought it was. And I, I kind of judged that church a little more fully. So I'm sell- telling you all that partially to tell you to have grace for churches because it's hard, right? You know, what other place gives you free child care? Anyway, but so let's, let's move on. So we're in this situation where he's teaching teachers. And so I imagine that they are sitting back looking at Jesus, who probably doesn't have any rabbinical training, right? He is not a confirmed rabbi in their world. And yet he is now teaching them and probably teaching them with authority because by this point we've seen him in the synagogues. And he's been preaching, and the, and the word says that he's been preaching with authority. And he stands in front of them, and he begins to teach. And as he's teaching, people gather around. And Luke makes sure that he says one specific message in this moment. He says in the, the latter part of verse 17, it says, And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And so what this sentence in verse 17 is doing is it's showing us that Jesus didn't just come to teach, but he also came to heal. He came both in word and in deed. And that should give you and I as Christians a kind of glimpse, a picture on how to live our life, right? If we only come to people with word but without deed, will they ever listen to our words? If we go to people with deeds without words, are we actually doing them any good because the deeds that we do aren't pointing them to the ultimate glory of the gospel of Jesus? And so, yes, we are helping their immediate need, but we are never pointing them to their eternal need. And that's what Jesus is going to do. So there's a lot of people gathering around. And it says, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Skip down to verse 20. They actually get in there. They, they, they move some of the roof. There's actually one of our community groups is called Roof Crashers for, based off of this passage. Because they want to be a type of people, a group of people who help bring others to Jesus. You go down to verse 20. It says, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, he's in a room full of pharisaical leader teachers, and everyone's expecting him to heal because that's what Jesus does. He heals, and what does he do? He forgives sins, And of course, what do the teachers go? Whoa, 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 whoa. Only God can do that. And Jesus looks back at them and says, would it be easier for me to forgive his sins or would it be easier for me to heal him? Okay, raise up and walk. It's kind of proving I am 
God. Uh, in this moment, you, you say, I can't forgive his sins, but you've probably also never seen somebody healed either. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to prove that I forgave his sins by proving to you that I can get this paralyzed man up and I can heal him. And here's the picture that we see from the faith of these people. That when others are in need, we must take them to Jesus. So how do we find help? How do we, how do we get fresh air? Leave that slide up there for just a second, if you will. So the first thing we need to do, is kind of like in the airplane, we need to put on our oxygen mask first. Right? We need to recognize that we need to come to Jesus. But then Luke links this passage together with the first one. He goes, here's the leper story, here's the paralyzed man story. What are the friends of the paralyzed man doing? They're taking him to Jesus. See, the paralyzed man is in need. He, he has something that he needs, and where he's going to receive help is only from Jesus. And so these good friends go through a lot of trouble to take him to Jesus. As we move into the Easter season, we've been praying for fish. As you walked in this morning, you, you, Lord willing, noticed there was a blue fish on your seat. And that blue fish represents someone in our lives that we believe doesn't walk with Jesus, doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so what we've been kind of doing is we've been writing a name of that person on that fish. And we've been putting them in this bucket and praying over them. Because what you, when you catch a fish, what do you do? You put it in a cooler. You got to put it on ice. And then we've been hanging the fish up in our net so that week after week, we can be a lot like these friends. At least we can move our hearts to start taking steps a lot like these friends of this paralyzed man where we are praying that that person who is in need will come to Jesus. And I think God ordained this moment now. See, we, we've been praying it, but what have we been doing about it? See, prayer is something that God uses not only for us to communicate with him, to vent to him, to, to rest and trust in him, but he also does it to change our hearts. A pastor was asking me several weeks ago, how do we get our people to really have a burden for the lost, to, to, to have a desire to see people who are far from God be brought towards him? And I, my, my reply was simple, pray. We have to begin by praying for our people and then leading them to pray for those around us. Because if, if we don't have a burden as a church, as Piedmont Church, if we don't have a burden for the lost, man, we can take you through all the programs on how to share your faith. We can take you through all these things and with churches left the building and go out in the community and serve and give away things and build what would look like this amazing kingdom empire. But if it isn't built on a burden to see paralyzed lepers come face to face with the healer, then all we're doing is making ourselves feel good. Because, oh, look, we, we're pointing people to something good. 
No, we're pointing people to something great, and we'll go to the greatest greatest lengths. We'll pull apart the rooftops, and we'll lift our friend up into this house and lay him down in front of Jesus, and we will say, if you will. And so my, my burden this morning is for us to write those names of the fish and put them in the cooler, but step two is for you to take that little coaster-looking invite card and go give it to one of your fish this week. At some point, prayer has to move our hearts to our feet, and we have to take action. We've got to recognize that Jesus is the healer, that Jesus is good, and that no man can come to the Father except through him. And if we have a burden to see people healed, if we have a burden to see the leper healed, the paralyzed man walk, then what we need to do is we need to take them to Jesus. If you're saying, ah, I just don't know if I want to have this conversation, I just don't know if I can do this or do that, then, then I would point you back to step one. Maybe you need to have an interaction and realize that you're the leper. Because found people find people. When, when we have a true picture of our leprosy, our paralyzation, who we are outside of Christ, when we understand that truth and we come face to face with an almighty, good God and he says, you are healed. It's like that moment where Jesus has to look at the leper and say, hey, now don't tell anybody because we want to go tell everyone. We shouldn't have to stand on stages and sing songs and preach sermons about, all right, now go tell somebody about your healing. Jesus rarely has to say that to his people, right? The only time he says go tell is as a command and giving instruction to leadership and then giving instruction to the church. Every time else, every other time where he speaks about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, It's either an affirmation of or, hey, wait a moment, which is exactly what he does here. The wedding at Cana. Hey, let's do this in secret kind of deal. Mother, my time hasn't come yet. And so we as a church, we've got to start standing on the word of God that we say we believe in. We say we we, we put our whole eternity in. We've got to start putting our now in it. Next weekend, there's this evangelism conference called the Hope for the Heart of Georgia that's going to be meeting downtown at the Coliseum. They're going to have a thing Friday night and Saturday night, and they've been praying and preparing for months in the hope that people who are far from God will come face-to-face with the healer on that day. Will you and I, as Christians, answer the calling and be like these friends and take people to Jesus in your personal life how do we find help how do we get fresh air my answer is the gospel you've got to come face to face with Jesus how how, how do we maintain that vigor and how do we 
take people like the paralyzed man to Jesus. I would say you need community. You need people around you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage you, to reinforce, hey, this is your calling. This is who you are in Christ. You're no longer the leper. You are now a chosen, adopted, redeemed son or daughter in Christ. Now let the marvelous light show through you and have boldness and confidence and take people to Jesus. Found people, find people. And so as the band comes up, I'm going to close this in prayer, and I just want to tell you that there's a couple of different options this morning. Number one, maybe you've come face to face and you've realized you are a leper, and you need to give your life to Jesus and ask for healing. And by leper, I mean proverbial, right? Like you are dead in your trespasses. You've realized that you're a sinner, and you're going, I need healing through the blood of Jesus. And so I want to give my life to him. I want to repent and believe. I'll be down front. You can come pray with me. You can scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you. Fill out a form. We can talk to you later in the week. That's, that's one step. Another step is, is fill out that fish. Write a name down. Somebody you're praying for. Somebody in your life. Put them in the cooler and pray for them right now. We got pins in the back. They're underneath that seat, Chris Bailey. You can fill it out. Drop it in the cooler right now. The third step is not a step that you're going to do here this morning, but it's a step you're going to do on your way out. You can take one of those coaster-looking deals, give it to somebody. We've got yard signs. I want you to put them in your yard. I want you to let people know here's an opportunity that you can have to come face-to-face with Jesus. We have the Easter egg hunt on April 8th, and we have Easter on April 9th. We have two full family programming services. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. This will be your time of response. The band's going to sing. God, help us to recognize that we need help. And that help only comes from you. Help us to see the proverbial leprosy in our lives, the sin. Help us to repent and and trust in you for all the situations and all the things. Help us to say, Lord, if you will. God, as we're burdened for those around us that don't know you, help us to have the desire, the endurance, and the boldness to be like these friends of the man who's paralyzed. To go through crowds of people, to to lift up a man and pull apart a roof and drop him in safely right at the feet of your son. And say, God, will you heal him? That's what we're doing with these fish. That's what we're doing with these invitation cards. That's what we're doing with yard signs. That's what we're doing with praying with opportunities to to speak the gospel. Day in and day out. God, help us be a church. Who receives your word and then it's fuel to do your work. We thank you for your goodness. Help us to move in response to your teaching. It's in your son's name I pray and the church said,